Hello, everyone, and welcome to Staffer, the show about people who work in government or politics at any level and what they take from the experience. I'm your host, Jim Papa, a partner at Global Strategy Group and a former staffer myself. Today, we have a special episode. This Sunday is Mother's Day. And as you know, if you listen to a lot of the episodes, I like to talk with my guests about how they grew up and where they grew up, and we learn a lot about their families. And specifically, we've gotten to hear a lot of reflections from our guests on the role that their mothers played on their lives, whether by their example, through their education and encouragement, and in some cases, even by their absence. These stories are important, not just to honor mothers, but to reflect upon the impact that our loved ones have on us and celebrate the unique role that moms play in our lives. One of my guests, in fact, Katie Fallon, talks about being a mom herself and how she balances professional demands with all of the demands that come with parenting, which she shares with her spouse. And because my mother didn't raise any fools, you'll get to hear a short clip of me talking about my mom, too. I hope you enjoyed this montage episode as much as we enjoyed putting it together. If you haven't already, use this as an opportunity to make sure you are prepared this Sunday to honor the moms in your life. So, happy Mother's Day to all the moms out there who have inspired staffers, past and present, who are inspiring future staffers, and are showing us all what it means to be both a mom and a staffer in real time. Congresswoman Rosa DeLauro, Chair of the House Appropriations Committee. Can you talk about what you learned uh, from your mom and dad about public service? Sure. Thank you. I, 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 that is wonderful to, to reflect uh, to reflect back. I was in most extraordinary environment in which I grew up. My family were, uh, you know, they, they uh, struggled uh, working, blue collar family. My mom uh, was a, uh, a garment worker, seamstress in the old sweatshops in the city of New Haven. Uh, my dad an insurance sa- a salesman, but they devoted uh, so much of their life uh, uh, to public service and community. Their brand of government you know, they did not write omnibus legislation. You know, there was no health care bill or transportation bill, but it was about making sure that government could work uh, for ordinary people uh, in their lives. So our, our, our house, our kitchen uh, table was a place where people felt that they could come anytime, uh, day or night. Uh, to get advice on whether it may be Social Security, a job for their kids, or their, you know, kid uh, was in jail. How could you help him out or her out uh, in this uh, in, in in this context? Uh, uh, immigration issues, uh, uh, because my dad um, uh, was born in Italy and uh, uh, he could help translate for people. He spoke the language, and uh, so it was uh, it, one of an environment where anyone who came and asked for help deserved your time and effort to do every single thing you could for Mm. them. And that was, you never said no. You just said, okay. It may be that you couldn't help working it out, but you never just stopped it at the outset and say, hey, no, look, we can't deal with that. I, I, I can remember a couple of things. Um, when the electricity went out at the senior center, uh, we had a big senior center complex um, uh, on Worcester Street in, in New Haven. Well, what my mother did was she went up and down the street to all the restaurants, to everyone to get donations of food because the seniors couldn't cook. 
So mm -hmm. bringing them the food that they, they, they needed. Uh, uh, funny, not so funny, one night we got a call that there was a shooting at Columbus Mall, again on Worcester Street. So my mom dashed up from the table, grabbed her coat, and my father said, Lou, where, where are you going? She said, let me go. Let me just, I've got to see what's happened. Is any, if anybody is hurt, what's going on? Without, I mean, fearless, just fearless. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, and the two things, I always say this, uh, that, 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 that she taught me was that you, you never uh, take no for an answer and you never give up. You, you keep at it. And that's the brand of, of uh, advocacy. That's the brand of politics that I grew up with. Ann Caprera, Chief of Staff, Illinois Governor J.B. Pritzker. So I, I mentioned Philadelphia. Uh, anyone who knows you or follows you on Twitter knows how important it is. Um, talk to me a bit about growing up and, and specifically, Anne, um, I would like to hear you talk about your mom, who you've written really movingly about you lost at a young age. And just from being someone who reads your posts on Facebook, um, she sounded like an incredible woman and had such an impact on you. And I'd love to hear you talk about her. Sure. Well, thanks for asking me. I have to say of all the podcasts and interviews I've done, I don't get to talk about my mom a lot. So it's nice when I do. Um, you know, I, I did. I lost her when I was 12 and kind of tragic car accident. And um, she was a journalist. She wrote for the Philadelphia Inquirer. She um, actually, right before she died, she'd started a company writing and was doing magazines and newspapers and um, kind of was working freelance and I think was hoping to grow that business and um, unfortunately was cut off really young. But um, I, you know, I, I saw her doing that in kind of some of my most formative years. You know, she was really involved in just, um, she loved reporting and she loved writing. And she would take me with her uh, to, uh, you know, assignments she had. Um, she would, she would, she gave me a typewriter when I was 11 years old, which was kind of a precocious gift for an 11 year old. And this was pre-computers, pre all of that. So a typewriter was kind of a big deal. Yeah. And um, I remember once she took me to a, uh, <laughs> to a bookathon that a local school was hosting. And she gave me kind of a pad, a piece of paper and said, you know, go off and, uh, do your own interviews. So I did because I, you know, I thought that this was a lot of fun. And I came back to the typewriter and I typed up my whole uh, story for her and I handed it in. And then the story actually came out in the Philadelphia Inquirer a couple of weeks later. Oh, that's cool. And um, I remember actually going through and highlighting the sections that I thought I had contributed to. And I gave her a bill. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, all credit to my mother that she was like, you're right. Here's five dollars. And um, but it was, you know, I was thinking back now, it was like a really formative experience to see her working and. Alfonso David, President, Human Rights Campaign. I, I wish you could take me to that time when you were a youngster, but you were living under house arrest. That must have been very stressful, terrifying, in fact, for a little kid. Um, could you describe what that was like? And particularly, because I've read a bit about it, about what you observed um, among the women in your life at that time? Yeah, uh, I, I mean, my experience was so 
harrowing that uh, going back and regurgitating it, uh, it is still it's as visceral as it was yesterday or the day before or the year before. And um, I saw things as a child that I would not um, I would not wish on anyone. Uh, I saw you know women attacked and raped. I saw heads exploding. I saw people murdered. And as a child, when you go through a military coup, uh, you have very little understanding as to what that means or the reasons why that's happening. And you also don't really fully appreciate what the levers are associated with democracy and dictatorships. And I had to come to terms with those fairly quickly. The women in my life at the time uh, became the warriors because the men were either assassinated uh, or in prison. And so I grew up for those three years in a house full of women, women who were strong, uh, matriarchs, uh, protected the family from harm, uh, and provided, which is incredibly important, provided for the family when there were very, very few resources to do that. Um, and my mother was one of them, where she protected our family uh, with a strength that I associated with, you know, David, or, you know, depending on your perspective, Goliath. Um, but uh, it was really a fascinating, harrowing experience that I think shaped a, a number of uh, things uh, for me in terms of how I see the world, how I perceive democracy, how I see our respective roles in, in, uh, in life and what we're supposed to do when we're on this, on this planet. Katie Fallon, former White House Director of Legislative Affairs under President Obama. You know, every day is a new adventure in parenting, in parenting, and I have such a major appreciation for it. It is so much harder than I thought it would be. And, um, you know, I'm a perfectionist, and sometimes I think I'm not naturally good at parenting, which has been a hard thing to reconcile. And I'm not sure how my mom and dad did it with all eight of us in my family. Um, so I, I guess I would say that as a couple, what we have found that has worked well is when we lean into what we like to do and what we're good at as our prominent parenting roles, if that makes any sense. So for example, Brian is really good at, you know, planning experiences, events and activities. And, you know, that could be a legacy of his advanced roles that he played right out of college for presidential campaigns. So he's, you know, generally speaking, in charge of birthday parties, the extracurriculars, you know, the Disney trips, um, the you know, weekend rainy day activities. And, you know, meanwhile, I'm really good at multitasking and I love online shopping. <laughs> so, you know, virtually everything we consume in the house is delivered via Instacart, Amazon Prime or Grubhub. And I have it down to a science at this point. Um, and as far as my team at Hilton goes, I, I, you know, I think I try to purposely expose them to some of that messiness, some of my messiness, um, so that I can create that sort of accept acceptable, flexible culture inside our own team, which is predominantly comprised of young women. And, you know, I encourage my team not to try to strike a balance between family and work, which is what we're told to do and um, what we read about all the time, uh, you know, especially our new moms here, because I think 
when moms try to strike a balance, they will always feel guilty. They'll always feel out of balance if they're trading off any time with their kids for work. So rather, I think it's less stressful to try to achieve work-life integration and make that acceptable as part of your work culture if you're managing a team. You know, like do your grocery shopping online at work like I do. You know, you leave early to pick up the kids and spend, you know, a few hours with them at home before you go back online at odd, odd hours to answer emails. And then I think most importantly, like just be collaborative and transparent with your colleagues and with your parenting partner at home. So when you know, unexpected home or kid emergencies arise, arise, you have that, you know, that team that backs you up instead of having to leave issues or projects hanging, which could just create more stress. So that, you know, that always on integration, I think is important. Um, and, you know, never putting pressure on yourself to, to strike, you know, the right balance, because in this day and age, I don't think there really is such a thing. Neera Tandon, President and CEO of Center for American Progress. So my parents were Indian immigrants. Uh, my father came here in the 50s and my mother came here in the 60s. And um, uh, I have an older brother. Uh, when I was five, though, my parents got divorced. I mean, we, we I did grow up in Bedford, Massachusetts, which is a very middle class town, has really great schools. Um, you know, a suburb of Boston, uh, with a lot of, uh, a lot of, uh, the amenities of like a traditional suburban place, you know, crime low, uh, big public investments, great libraries. Uh, so though when I was, uh, five, my parents got divorced and my father left. Uh, and my mother was left to raise both of us, uh, my brother and I, and she, in that moment, really faced a very tough decision, which was whether she should stay in the United States. She'd never worked a day in her life. Um, uh, so she would have to go on welfare. Uh, so whether she should stay here and go on welfare or uh, go back to India. And, you know, in India, uh, people don't really get divorced now that often. <laughs> like No one got divorced and you know the mid 1970s so she she knew she would um you know there'd be a lot of stigma for us there'd be stigma for her but there'd be a lot of stigma for us and so she chose you know i think she made this really courageous decision to stay in the united states she went on welfare so i mean i was both i was like the only kid i knew who was on free and reduced lunch so i'd go through the lunch line in school and i'd have a 10 cent voucher where everyone else was paying like a dollar ten or something and you know, we would be at the local Charity Supreme, which was like the supermarket, and my mother would be the only person using like food stamps, which back then actually looked like dollars. They weren't really damaged, and now they're cards, but back then they were like sort of fake money. And um, and you know, I remember going to the well, like the, going to the welfare office with her and things like that. But you know, I also, I mean, Bedford was a really welcoming community. My mother um, kind of joined the Unitarian Church, and they were very they were very supportive, and they helped us move out of our house into the apartment. And anyway, I I I uh, I only realized like many years later that it was, um, you know, a series of public policies. People made decisions to uh, create public policy to actually help people, like 
Section 8 housing and food stamps and free and reduced lunch and, uh, you know, welfare itself. And this program's really worked uh, in our case to help us. And within a couple of years, my mother got a job as a travel agent. And then eventually she got a job as a contract administrator for Raytheon. Um, you know, and, and within like six or seven years, she was actually able to buy her own house in Bedford. So we could still, I could still go to those grade schools. So, you know, I mean, I, I feel very fortunate. And my mom is obviously like a, a strong, uh, courageous woman, but also, you know, that my life would be radically different if a series of basically nameless public officials didn't make the, you know, made different decisions about public policy. I mean, my mom really always talked to us about how politics matters. I mean, she's a little bit of a political junkie, but, and I have memories, like my early, one of my earliest memories is my mother jumping up and down like late at night because Jimmy Carter won. And I remember, and I was like six years old at this time. So, but I asked her like, why were you so excited? And she was like, well, you know, I think she basically was like, you know, a Democrat winning means like our lives will be better. And, um, and, and, you know, I really was struck by then. She always, you know, she always really thought politics mattered for our lives because, you know, again, we benefited from all these programs that were essentially created by a president. Lyndon Johnson created a number of the programs that made our lives possible in the United States. And so, I always really, you know, I mean, it's just sort of something inculcated with us that it really mattered. U.S. Representative Tom Cole. But in preparation for this interview, I also learned a bit more, um, uh, specifically about your parents. And your mother had two characteristics that were very much passed on to you. One was, of course, her heritage. She, like you, uh, was a member of the Chickasaw tribe and passed on its culture and history to you. Um, and you know, today it is fair to say that you are known as one of the most fierce advocates, if not the fiercest advocate for Native Americans in the Congress. And she also passed on uh, a passion for politics. She was a state senator uh, and and mayor of Moore, where you grew up. Um, but she wasn't alone. Your father, in, in terms of public service, your father spent 20 years in the United States Air Force and later worked as a civilian federal employee at Tinker Air Force Base. I wanted to start uh, describing uh, their backgrounds for our listeners because I'd love to hear you talk about what you took away from them in terms of public service and what dinner conversations were like. My mom was just a natural uh, in terms of she was a people person. And uh, I remember once uh, after my dad had retired out, my mom was working as a grocery clerk uh, at the first supermarket in, in Moore, Oklahoma, where I now live. I mean, Moore back then was a city of 1,700 people. Today it's uh, close to 70,000. Uh, but uh, she, uh, the, the local banker just got to know her and watched her and then came and recruited her to go to work at the bank to open the first drive-in window teller or become the first drive-in window teller in Moore, Oklahoma. I used to tell her that was her real political base because she ended up cashing all the truck driver's checks and giving chiclets to the kids and, uh, and dog <laughs> bones to the dogs. And so everybody loved Helen Cole, but she was, she liked people. Uh, she enjoyed uh, conversation. I still get uh, 
all over my district uh, and particularly in my hometown. I mean, I may be a congressman in more Oklahoma. I'm nothing more than Helen Cole's little boy. Uh, that uh, So she just had that knack. Uh, you know, I consider her one of the best political figures I ever worked for just in sheer understanding of people. She became very, uh, she co-chaired the Bush campaign, was very close to uh, uh, both Bushes, but particularly uh, Bush 43. Uh, and uh, uh, so I don't know, she just had this ability uh, to connect with people. And I think partly uh, identify with people I mean, very modest means she grew up as a, as a, uh, with a single mother through the depression uh, in very humble circumstances. My dad, again, very much a blue collar family. Neither of them had the opportunity to go to college. Um, so, uh, but they just, uh, they were, you know, both able to relate well to people, but no one quite like her. And uh, just uh, remarkable people skills. So, I mean, my mother really shaped my life. And in 1976, uh, uh, I was a graduate student. Like all graduate students, I was totally self-absorbed and focused on uh, what I was doing. And my mother was recruited to run for office uh, in uh, uh, Moore and as a state representative, which she served in before she became a state senator. And uh, I did a few things in the campaign, not very many, uh, and she lost. And I always tell people the worst place on the planet to be is your mother's watch party the night you lose and uh, you haven't done very much. And but and she lost close. She had 49 percent, a heavily Democratic district. And we had liquor by the drink on the ballot, which brought out every Baptist Democrat uh, known to man in the district. And uh, that's what beat her. Uh, but I remember looking at numbers and thinking about it and telling her, you know, if you'll run again, I'll learn how to run a campaign and I bet you could win. And I didn't think she'd ever run again. or I wouldn't have made that commitment, I'm sure. But about 14 months later, I'm in London on a Fulbright and she calls and says, I'm running. When are you coming home? And so <laughs> we laughed. She knew I was coming back in June of 1978. So I came back. Uh, I was teaching European history courses as a graduate at OU, a graduate assistant, and uh, went and told the uh, department, look, I was going to keep the teaching because I needed the money, but I was suspending work on my dissertation so I could run my mom's campaign. And uh, she, uh, they, uh, they were really very nice about it, actually, and let me do that. And she won. David Clooney. Executive Director, Black Economic Alliance. Uh, both of my parents, uh, so my mother was a school teacher and then eventually administrator uh, and a principal in the New York City Department of Education her whole career in the Bronx. Um, she uh, was <laughs> a very stern, strict, uh, and serious administrator. Um, and and I grew up in a Jamaican household where um, education was always at the forefront of everything we did. So it wasn't if I was going to college, it was where, and then after college, where I was going to go, you know, pursue a graduate degree. Um, and my father was, uh, for the majority of his career in banking, at um, the majority of the time, a banker at Chase, a loan officer at uh, branches in the Bronx and then in Westchester, um, but lost his job uh, while I was in high school, maybe late in middle school. Uh, and uh, my parents split up but um, I'm still close to both of them. And he started his own business. So he was a small business owner, owned a uh, car company called Lloyd's Lines Limited uh, that he still owns now. 
Oh, that's really interesting because both of their careers sort of have echoes into your career uh, that, that we're going to jump into. But I have to ask, did you attend, Did you growing up, were you in the same school system as your mother? So luckily, no. Uh, I did not ever go to school in the same district as her, but she knew way more than I wanted her to know about when our interim reports and report cards would come out. Um, so she was always waiting for them uh, before I could, had a chance to hide them. But uh, luckily for me, I, it, that wasn't too much of an issue when I was growing up. But uh, she was very involved in my education, even though we weren't in the same school district. Chris Liu, former Deputy Secretary of Labor. Uh, I'll tell you one funny story. So again, I, I mean this with great love if my mother listens to this. When she first came to visit me in the, uh, in the White House, um, uh, she, she remarked on why my office was so small. <laughs> that's such a, that's such a uh, immigrant uh, parent experience. But she was very proud. Frank Luntz, Republican pollster and pundit. Um, I like to start my interviews talking with folks um, about where and how they grew up. And I know you grew up in West Hartford, Connecticut. Um, but talk to me about you know, what you and your family talked about around the dinner table and how you caught the bug for politics. Well, it's actually ironic that we did have conversations about politics around the dinner table. My mother had a rule, no television. In fact, no television, no generic conversation at the dinner table. We were present. We were focused. You could not read at the table. You had to engage in conversation. Uh, they would ask me very tough questions about politics. I would give them shockingly specific answers. They knew I liked politics at a young age. And, and they encouraged me. They always encouraged me to pursue my passions. And I owe so much of my interesting life to the fact that I grew up in a normal Jewish, uh, um, Jewish motherly home for all of that, what all of that means. And, um, and I was very fortunate that I had a father who cared about my happiness. I had a mother who cared about my success. I had a sister who, uh, was, uh, uh, challenged in a number of ways, which taught me about compassion and, and I went to good schools that taught me about the pursuit of intellectual curiosity. Fred Hochberg, former chairman and president, Export-Import Bank. I want to talk to you about your career in the private sector and the public sector. Your mother started Lillian Vernon, an amazingly successful company of the same name, and it grew from the kitchen table and into a powerhouse catalog company that sold all sorts of items. It really became not just an incredibly successful business, but also a culturally relevant business. What was it like growing up literally in the middle of a business? That's a very good question. Uh, you know, partly both my mother and father were in business. Uh, my mother uh came here with her parents, came here to America with her parents uh, in 1937. They fled uh, Nazi Germany in 33, uh, went to Amsterdam. In fact, the same exact year that Anne Frank and her family left Germany. They left, uh, Anne Frank left uh, Frankfurt, my grandparents and my mother and her brother left uh, Leipzig and moved to Amsterdam, uh, knowing they had to get out of Germany, but not knowing where to go. And Amsterdam was a way station. 
and they looked at Palestine, they looked at uh, Havana, and uh, ultimately settled on New York. And my grandfather was a businessman, so it was, uh, you know, it was a German Jew, and I think it was just in the blood. Uh, he was a business person, and my mother then helped him in his business, uh, and then started her own business on, as you mentioned, that kitchen table. And by the way, that kitchen table today sits in the Smithsonian Museum in Washington in their entrepreneurship exhibit, uh, where there are not a lot of women uh, featured, and Lillian, I'm proud to say, is one of them. Heather Higginbottom, president of J.P. Morgan Chase Policy Center and former U.S. Deputy Secretary of State. You truly are the pride of the Southern tier. (laughs) And I am so glad that our paths crossed. I actually have my mother to thank for that. (laughs) She was a teacher in the Shenango Valley School District at Port Dick Elementary. And when you were on the front page of our newspaper as going to work for President Obama, she called me and said, you have to look this person up. And Mm -hmm. so I walked my way up to the DPC. um, And that's when we first met. And your your career, your insights, your wisdom... um, are just so instructive. And um, I really can't thank you enough. Well, thank you. It's been wonderful. And I should put a plug in and say your mom was beloved, a beloved teacher at Port Dick Elementary School. And behind Port Dick Elementary School is where I played my entire soccer career uh, in high school. So just all these connections, they're amazing. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, She'll be so pleased to hear that. So thank you. Remember, everyone, we are still accepting submissions on our staffer hotline, which you can reach by calling 888-416-2132. We have had a great response to the hotline, and we've already made a couple shows out of it. Keep those stories coming. And remember, they can be about anything that you found memorable, meaningful, funny about your experience as a staffer. They will be anonymous, so you can share literally anything. The length of the recording goes about four minutes. If you get cut off, just call back in and finish your story. Again, that number is 888-416-2132. I want to thank you all for listening to the only show created for and about the people who work in government and politics at any level. I do have a quick favor to ask. Please follow, subscribe, and like the show on all of your favorite podcast platforms. Positive reviews are everything in this business, I'm told. And make sure to sign up for episode alerts at staffershow.com and check out Staffer Show on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Thanks all.